0: I visited my dad this past uh, week, and I noticed he had band-aids on his ear. That a little unusual, and it looked like there was a smattering of dried blood on the side of his face. And the dad, "What's going on with your ear there?" Uh, he said, "Well, I had some spots taken off." He says they look like they're cancerous, and so they're going to do biopsies on them. And Despite the seriousness of what he was saying, in a way that only a father and son could do, we started laughing. Uh, I said, Dad, you don't you know you're supposed to wear a hat? Don't you know you're supposed to wear sunscreen on your face? We laugh because that's what he tells me every time we go out in the sun. And we laugh because Dad always wears the funniest. Ugliest looking hat you can imagine everywhere you go and he's plastered with sunscreen lotion and so we are just struck with the irony Of someone who always pays careful attention And the fact of the matter that dad is the one that gets most damaged by the sun He's the one who's always had sun poison and now uh, Having these spots taken off and and so dad has provided for me the most effective warning uh, when I count the thousands of times he 's told me you 're going to get sun cancer you better you better put sunscreen on get you 're going to get you 're going to get it, get it. I, and I, I think about all these times yet they are not in comparison to the warning of his life and as he 's going through this, and I look back and think, you know that means more to me dad than all the thousands of times you told me wear sunscreen uh, you are now dealing with this. And what I want to share with you is a warning. Because I hope you get there is a seriousness about the sun cancer. As just as serious, there is something even more concerning, more damaging, more damning than sun cancer. And that is what is the subject of Hebrews chapter 2. And it is the first of five warnings that you find in the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews is kind of mixed in with with an explanation of Christ, and then every once in a while, bam, it hits you. <laughs> I explained all this so that you'll be warned. Chapter one, he is—you uh, won't find a command in chapter one. It is filled with who is the revelation. Christ being superior than angels, than prophets, that he outspeaks the prophet, outdoes the angels, outlasts the universe. He is superior in every way. He is God and the perfect reflection of who God is. You won't find a command. And then in chapter 2, he hits you with the very first command. He says, here's the reason I've been talking about all that. Now, you better listen up. And so, we're going to look at this, listen up, this warning. Uh, All warnings you find in Hebrews are pretty dire. Uh, Find the first one here, we'll find another one in chapter 3. Find the third one in chapter 4. Find the fourth one in chapter 5 through chapter 6. And the last one in chapter 10, verse 19 to 39. So this is the first of five warnings we'll come to in this book. And so, uh, knowing that, the, the, the idea is simply, he warns you, pay attention to the gospel. Heed the gospel. Pay attention to Christ. I think he tells you why. All right. So if you don't get anything, understand that this book, this chapter, this text is telling you, listen to Jesus. Pay attention to the gospel. And if you don't get anything else out of this, write that down. Write that down Pay attention to the gospel, just so I know that you got the point, all right? Uh, and that's, that is the point, pay attention to the gospel. And so let's uh, understand that. Let's read this in chapter 2, and we'll go through verse uh, 1 through 9. And so as we read this, let's stand in honor of the word of God. You read silently as I read aloud to you. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable in every transgression our disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Are the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present... We do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. But we see Him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. You may be seated. Notice that verse 1, you got that word, therefore. Every time you see that in a text... It is an application, it is an action based on what was preceding it. All right. So usually there's doctrine or some truth revealed. So what was revealed in verse chapter one? Well, Jesus is greater than the angels and the prophets. He is the creator of the universe. He is the perfect revelation of God. Therefore, verse one, pay attention to him. That is the command. And this is a good command. It is a sober command. It is one that we still need to listen to. It is a warning that this church and the church in America and the church in this age really desperately needs. So let's look at this. And we're going to look at four reasons why we need to pay attention to the gospel. Why we need to heed the gospel. The first one you see right off. Verse 1, lest we drift away. Heed the gospel or else you'll drift. Well let me just mention a little bit about heeding the gospel. Pay attention. Make provision to listen to God. Think about that. If you want to listen to something or someone, you will make provision for it. Uh, some of you want to listen to a radio, so you'll turn the radio on and you'll sit there in front of it. Some of you want to listen to a certain uh, singer or group, and so you will purchase the CD or you'll download it on your computer or you may get the audio tape or you may pull out the big vinyl record, whatever is your your method, and you'll place it on the player and you'll listen to Some of you will want to read the newspaper and so you will take time out. You'll purchase a paper and you'll sit down and read it. Let me ask you, are you making provision to listen to God? Are you paying attention to Him? Are you putting yourself in the place where you will read the Word of God, you will hear the Word of God, where you think about the Word of God? Are you making provision for that? Why is this important? Because if you do not... If you do not continually pay attention to the gospel in your life, it is inevitable that you will drift away from Jesus. Do you understand that? Sometimes we treat it kind of like the the title deed of a car or of a house. We may purchase it and then we'll uh, claim it and then we'll file it away. And we never regard it anymore. This is not how it is to be with the gospel. Some people think, well, I will pray a prayer someday and I'll make Jesus my Lord and Savior and I'll just follow away and know it's there just in case I ever need it. That is not what it means to follow Christ. It is a continual every day regarding of who he is. And if we do not, we will drift away from it and we'll find ourselves so divorced from who Christ is in our actions and our thinking. Because we've not paid attention continually to the Word of God. Now, this idea, lest we drift away from it, it has that, that nautical allusion to it of a, of a ship being drifting away from the, the place of, of where it is to be. I, as I looked at this term, I could not help but think about some uh, experience I've had in the water and surfing. We were, uh, when I was younger, we would go to uh, a spot in Virginia Beach, um, and in Virginia Beach, there are only two or three destinations that is uh, allowed for surfing. And we would go to one of them called Croton, and, and we would go there, and, and it was just filled with all kinds of guys surfing, and we'd go out there. And, and one of the unique aspects of this, uh, this location is there was a jetty of rocks going out into the ocean, which would uh, make the waves better. Uh, and so we would get out there, and as you got a little bit closer to the rocks, the waves would be a little bit better. But as I was out there, I started realizing that I was getting closer to those rocks than I really wanted to be. I had no idea that there was a current that was pulling me to the rocks. And I was just content and comfortable in my life. And I, But when I saw the danger of the rocks, I thought, you know, I've got to do something. And so I started paddling. And I realized only after paddling how strong the current was. And I realized that if I was going to stay out there, I'm going to have to paddle continually all the time just to keep from getting into the rocks. And I knew I didn't want to be in the rocks. That it would be better to go into the shore and walk than it is to stay out and run into the rocks. Because that would not end well at all. And so I, I learned the lesson that if I want to keep from drifting into the rocks, I've got to continually struggle against the tide. Listen... There is a tide running in this world. And if you do not realize how strong that tide is, how strong the pull is away from Christ, it's only because you've not struggled against this world. But once you understand the danger that the world pulls you in, that left unto yourself, apart from Christ-centered thinking, the danger of that, if you don't realize that, you'll never know how strong the pull is. And what This writer is saying is, listen, there is a strong pull in the world. And if you don't let the gospel center your thinking, focus the way you live, the way you think, your attitude, it will take you to a place that is of destruction and you need to pay attention. Do you get what I'm saying? Be on your guard. Be diligent against the drift of this world. In verse 2, we'll find... There's a second reason why we need to heed the gospel. Not only is the gospel and and the the, the revelation of Christ, the salvation against this world. We see that since this message, you notice, declared by angels proved to be reliable. And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What he's saying in verse 2 is... Consider the Old Testament. There is a belief revealed in Scripture that the law, the Old Testament, given by God to Moses, had angels involved in the process. This is reflected in, in three or four passages. Let me share them with you. Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, Acts 7, verse 38, and Galatians 3:19. All three of these passages make reference to angelic beings that God uses in revealing the law to Moses. And so, the writer of Hebrews is looking back to that time. He says, consider the Old Testament. What's been given? The message declared by angels proved to be reliable. In other words, if you disobeyed the the Old Testament, there was to be a just retribution. There was to be a certain retribution punishment that would take place if that was true about the old testament how much more is it true about the gospel of jesus christ the new testament so what i would bring out to you is this we heed the gospel not just because of the fear of drifting away we heed the gospel because there is a certain punishment there is a certain punishment we understand that with our traffic um I bet most of you know which intersections in Nightdale have the traffic cameras. You pay attention. Once you see that camera, you make a mental note. There's a camera there. I will always stop when the light is red at that light. Why is it that you know that? (laughs) Maybe by experience you realized Oh, I didn't stop and I got in the mail a ticket. There is an understanding that there is a certain punishment. If we run the red light. It is dependent on the faithfulness of the camera and so far they seem to be pretty reliable. And we hope against hope that maybe it didn't click. But alas, it comes in the mail. That certainty of of punishment has an effect. It deters us from breaking that, that law. What he's saying is, is there is a certain punishment that will take place if you neglect the gospel. It will happen. And because of that... Just as sure as that's going to happen, we will heed the gospel. We will pay attention to it. We will place close attention to what is revealed through Jesus Christ. Now, how does this work? Well, in mountain biking, it's it's kind of a... Folks that go mountain biking, they they like a little adrenaline in their life. They like a little fear uh, in their life. Because what happens is you, you go on these little, what you call, single track routes. Which basically, there's just enough room for your bicycle. And on both sides, is liable to be a tree. And uh, you might go downhill on one of these single tracks. With trees on your left and right. And just to keep it more interesting, all along the way, there will be rocks and roots that you have to go over. And, and, and hills that you have to go over and, and down. And uh, jumps from time to time. And, and you may be finding yourself at a speed much too fast, going through a lane much too narrow. Here's what happens. You'll be going down that track and you're bouncing. And you'll see a tree. And the tree is right where you would normally be going. And what you have to have the discipline of doing is this. There's a tree there. But I can't keep looking at that tree. Because if I keep looking at that tree, the bicycle is going to go where I look at. And so it's a a little struggle. Because you see the danger, you see the fear, but you say, don't look at the tree, don't look at the tree, don't look at the tree. What do you do? You look at where you want to go. Go in that three feet of clear space. Go there, go there. Yeah, I know there's a tree there. Go there, go there, go Focus there. Because if you start looking at the tree, there is a certain punishment that will take place, all right? So, here's how life is. There are all kinds of distracting desires and allegiances. Things that vie for our love, our enthusiasm, our passion, our joys, our identity. And the writer is saying, you better pay attention to the gospel. Because if you don't pay attention to the gospel, that thing can lead to a punishment. And it's like that tree that's looming up, and instead we we need to focus not on looking at the tree, but focus on the gospel, focus on the Christ, focus on Jesus. Put your attention on Him, because what you put your attention on is where you will go. What you set your heart upon becomes who you are. And so just as, as we will focus on the clear three feet of space, when we're going down on a bicycle in our life, we must focus on who Jesus is. Do not, do not set your eyes on anything else but Christ. Heed the gospel, for there is certain punishment. Verse 3, for how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now, this is fascinating. I have to ask the question, escape from what? Escape from, escape to what? And who is the writer talking to? (laughs) Well, he includes himself, the writer, he talks about we in this. I believe that he is addressing this letter to a group of people who claim to be believers. A church, if you will. These are of Jewish origin, at least familiar with the Jewish traditions and the scriptures. And he is warning them. He says, look, there are some of you who have professed Christ in your life. But you are in danger of no longer professing Christ. You need to understand that if you forsake Christ, there is a danger involved. If we neglect such a great salvation, how we will we escape? Escape what? I believe he's talking about. Wrath of God. Wrath of God. Some folks say, well, I thought if you profess Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you are secure in your salvation. I will tell you, and the Bible teaches you, that all who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God holds them in His arms, in His hands. And there is nothing can separate that person from the love of Christ. But the question that must be asked is, are you in the arms of Christ? 1 John tells us that one of the ways we know whether or not you are in the arms of Christ is whether you will continue in the faith. And by such, he says, there are some who are no longer with us. They are no longer with us because they were not of us. And one of the indications of someone who is a believer in Jesus Christ is a perseverance and an ability to continue in the faith, not based on their own abilities and discipline but based on what christ does in their life and so when the writer gives a letter to a group of people who call themselves believers he says you know what the emphasis is not so much on how you begin but how you end how you end that reveals whether or not you are of christ second timothy Chapter 2 says, There are two pillars of the faith. The Lord knows those who are His, and two, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And so, when the writer sends this letter out, he says, There are some of you who are in danger of going back into iniquity because you have forsaken the gospel, forsaken Jesus Christ. Do you understand? If you neglect the gospel, how will you escape? And what's left unsaid is the wrath of God. If we neglect such a great salvation. So let me just share with you the third reason why we heed the gospel. Not only because it prevents us from drifting. Not only because there is a certain punishment. We heed the gospel for it is great. It is great. You notice the idea here. Such a great salvation. It is a joy in this. There is a a heart craving in this. He says, Do you not know what's been provided for you? He says, says, I'm not asking you to to pay attention to that which is a drudgery. I'm not asking you to pay attention to something that is inferior. I'm not asking you to pay attention to something that will waste your time. He says, "What What if he was saying, Don't neglect steak dinners? Or ice cream. or uh, Okay. I can do that. I can do that. Because I see that steak is good. And if you're wondering me, don't worry about it. I see the virtues of steak or the virtues of whatever your choice uh, meal is. He says, what you have is something great. Don't neglect sunrises and sunsets and beauty and goodness and love. What is this salvation? What if we said it and said, don't neglect being loved by God. Isn't that part of salvation? Don't neglect being forgiven. Don't neglect being accepted, protected, strengthened, guided by God. Don't neglect Christ's sacrifice. The free gift of righteousness. Don't neglect the removal of God's wrath upon you. Don't neglect the smile of God. Don't neglect the indwelling Spirit of Christ in your life. Are these not all parts of salvation? And see how it makes sense when someone says that? But when someone says, well, don't neglect salvation, it seems like such a duty. These things that he is telling us to do are not duties, but delights. They are great to pay attention to. Now, why is it that someone would... Would ignore and neglect the gospel. Because they do not believe it's great. They do not believe it's great. Think about it. Someone tells you it's great, well, maybe you believe it or maybe you're not, but it's revealed in how you care about it. And how much attention you pay to it. Maybe, maybe you don't think it's great because you see hadn't seen the evidences of it. I remember When I was young, my first surfboard, I got a surfing motif motif going on here. Uh, I bought my first surfboard when I was in middle school. And we came across it in seventh grade at a yard sale. $25. I thought, whoa, I've got to get this. It was a a long board, uh, seven foot something. And it had this single fin on it that slashed and cut me severely often. And it didn't fit at all the styles of the day. You know, every, every decade you got a new style. And when you're in middle school, <laughs> it's all about the fad. It's all about the fad. And I saw the surfboard, and I think, you know, it's great having a surfboard, but it's only $25. And this thing is grossly out of style. I'm embarrassed by it. I put stickers on it, try to make it look cool, you know. And so consequently when someone would want to borrow it, I'd say, oh, sure, go ahead and borrow it. So in high school someone borrowed it and came back and said, Hey, I, sorry, buddy, someone stole your surfboard. I said, What? Stole your surfboard. Oh man. Gave me some money. I bought a bought a new board. It wasn't until coming to this church, I talked to with, with Brian Anderson, he's he knows a lot about surfing. And I was telling him about that board, he said, What kind of board was it? It's a Dewey Weber. I said, oh, are you serious? Yeah. Do you know how much one of the surfboards are? Well, I bought mine for $25. <laughs> Those things are worth over a thousand dollars. Oh, no. No. I had no idea that this was a valuable boy. I mean, we watch the antique road show. You know, we, we always love those moments when someone's been neglecting something attic 's been dirty and they say, oh, this is worth thousands of dollars. We're just like, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. We just love those stories. But Someone didn't realize the value, the precious of it. What he's saying here is, you have something precious in your life. Don't put it in the attic of your life only to be brought out on Sundays. Dust the thing off. It is value. It is great. It should be the model of your life. It should dictate what you think. It should occupy your mind. You can't think of anything better, anything more beautiful, anything more loving than what is found in the gospel. Your best thought that you could ever have would be uh, just dimmed by the gospel and what it is. The best thing you could ever live for is overshadowed when you can live for the gospel. It is it is the most valuable possession that has ever been given to you. Don't neglect such a great thing. Heed the gospel for it was great. And he goes on and gives an argument for this. He says, it was declared at first by the Lord. He's, the God himself testifies to this through Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about how great a thing. He says, this thing, this is a pearl of great price. It's like someone seeing this pearl of great price is selling all that they have so they can have this pearl. He says, that's the gospel. And then he says, it was attested to us by those who heard. He says, consider the apostles and what they witnessed and what they heard and what they declared. This is one of the reasons I don't think Paul wrote it. Paul didn't describe himself in the gospel in this way. Contrast this with Galatians 1.12. This is someone that is... A contemporary with the apostles, but the apostles taught him. Verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. Notice how God himself attested this with supernatural activities to reveal that this gospel is not just out of uh, someone's imagination. But this is accompanied with the power of God. Listen to it. Believe it. It's like God speaking when Jesus was baptized and says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. And all these miracles that you see take place in the word of God are given to the fact of hear him. This is my beloved son. I had an older sister growing up. She's four years my senior. And older siblings, the older siblings, they always see themselves in partnership with the parents. You know, dad, mom, what do you want us to do with all these little kids, you know? Uh, And my sister had that same mentality. And so, in every she would try to tell me what to do. And I was, you know, the only brother. And I revolted at the idea that my sister could tell me what to do. Who are you? You're my sister. And so, I would not do it just because my sister told me to. And it was constant. Uh bumping of heads until she left home uh we managed to be friends after that but you know it was constant why because that was my sister it was different if dad told me something to do dad could have told me exact same thing that my sister said but it made all the difference because dad told me listen what he's saying is dad is telling you something God has attested to it by his miracles, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, by wonders, by signs. It's been attested to by the apostles. It was been declared at first by Jesus himself. Listen to him. And then verse 5. We'll find the fourth reason why we are to pay attention to the gospel. Heed the gospel or else you'll drift away. Heed the gospel for there is certain punishment. Heed the gospel for it is great. And heed the gospel for it will rise to preeminence. It will rise to preeminence. Verse 5. It says, now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Verse 6. It's been testified somewhere. (laughs) That sounds like something you and I would say, isn't it? Yeah, the Bible says somewhere. (laughs) It doesn't give the exact reference. The exact reference is Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 and 6. But the the point the author is saying is, you know what? God said it. It doesn't matter if David penned it. Uh, a prophet penned it. God wrote it. So, it doesn't matter who wrote it. God or who said it. God is writing it. God is speaking. In Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 6. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him uh, for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. And putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, remember he is quoting and referencing a translation of the Bible. Of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. All right. That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament. For that reason, it's different from what you might read in your own uh, copy that you've got. Uh, and there are a few differences here. Um, but that, that's what he's working off of. And uh, in the, Psalm 8 is talking about the majesty of God. But here, he turns it around to talk about the majesty of Christ. You, you read this, and at first, he's in Psalm 8, 4, and 6, he's talking about mankind in general. How God has put... Man over the animals, over the beasts of the earth, and they're in subjection to him, but as we read this, we realize, but okay, that's true about man, but it's not totally true about man, because really not everything is in subjection to man, because there's something called death, and death is not in subjection to man. So he speaks about that. He says, "Well, you know why? Psalm eight, it's talking about man, but it's ultimately fulfilled in Christ so now i'm putting everything in subjection to him he left nothing outside of his control at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to him and that's true isn't it not everything is in subjection to christ yet and we hadn't seen that but we have seen christ verse 9 but we see him who was for a little while made lower than the angels isn't that amazing he just talked about how jesus is greater than the angels But God allowed Jesus to be lower than the angels so something could be accomplished. Namely, Jesus, verse 9. It's the first time he uses the name Jesus in the book of Hebrews. He's been talking about it all the while, but now he puts name to the identity. I'm talking about Jesus in case you had not got it yet. This is who I'm talking about. He is crowned with glory and honor. Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He says, you know what? For a little while, Christ, it seems like things are over him. But there will be a day and time we'll see everything in subjection to him. You know, growing up, y'all remember that wallflower in elementary school? Guys, you remember that? The girl that would chase you around? And you would run away for a couple reasons. One, you didn't want to be seen with girls. And two, you didn't want to be seen with that girl. You'd run away. And then you're amazed. Because it seems like somewhere in middle school and high school, that wallflower turns into the high school beauty. And you're thinking, wow, I wish I treated her better in elementary school. (laughs) What you've got here is Christ who the world sees as the wallflower, that people trample over. And the gospel says, you know what? There's a day and time when that wallflower will turn into the very rose of Sharon, will be the lily of the valley, will be the best this world has ever seen. It is the epitome of beauty and righteousness and love and justice. And it will be the supreme ruler, the beautiful, majestic ruler that this world has been craving ever since it's begun. And it will be obvious to all that the one who was crucified is now the risen, glorified king. And that one who we've been mistreating and abusing and the one we flat out ignored in our life is now king of kings. And it will be evident to all. And we will bemoan the fact that we did not make Christ king of our life. Notice what he says. He's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. I think for us to really understand, we need to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Keep your finger in Hebrews. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 24 of that chapter, this is chapter about resurrection. Remember, I've talked about death has not been in subjection to man. Man has been in subjection to death. We know that because everybody dies. As much as you hate it, you cannot avoid death. It always surprises us for some reason when we realize, oh, I'm going to die. I've, I've had thoughts like that the last couple weeks. And it's like, man, how can I forget that? <laughs> you know? And every once in a while I read that, man, one day I'm going to die. It's just, it's amazing how that happens. Or forget it. Then it says, verse 24. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that He is expected who put all things in subjection are accepted, who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him. That God may be all in all. And so, That's the plan. One day death will be subject to Christ himself. And for that reason, Hebrews says that death is tasted by Jesus. Jesus tastes death for everyone. He tasted death for me. He tasted death for He tasted your death. We haven't yet fully tasted it, but Jesus has already tasted your death. He knows what it tastes like. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15 becomes so precious when we read the latter part of it. He tasted it. What did he do with it? (laughs) Well, Scripture has something interesting to say. Death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus said, give me a little slice of your death. Let me taste that death. Chews it and swallows it and says, death, it didn't kill me. I am greater than death. That which every man fears, I have victory over. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? It hasn't been revealed yet. Do you trust me? See, that resurrection that occurred on Easter morning was the first fruits Of resurrection. There will be more resurrection to come. If you trust Jesus. He has not only tasted your death. He has gained victory over your death. That is great salvation. We do not neglect such a great salvation. And so. What does that mean? Let me tell you what that means. When you go through sickness. When you go through death. When you go through disease and tragedy. We'll say all this frustration, all this pain... It doesn't have the last word. It doesn't have the last word. I will go on to the last word. And I will let the last word be my hope. And I will long for the last word. And scripture says in this passage that the last word is Christ. He is the final amen. And so we long and hope for that. And the worse this world is in our life, the more precious Christ can become. Part of the problem that many folks are not seeing the preciousness of Christ is they don't see how bad this world is. They've got blind eyes. And Satan has deceived them thinking, oh, life's pretty good. And he's given them the temporary pleasures of prosperity and contentment that's found therein and they have no idea that it's just a fleeting comfort until it's too late and they see how evil this world is and they did not put their trust in the last word. I think that for us to really let this sink in, I want you to turn in your Bibles again to this passage, Hebrews chapter 2. And where it says we, where it has that First person plural pronoun, I want you to substitute it with the first singular pronoun. For those of you who don't know what that means, where it says we, let will say I. Okay? Alright, let's read it together. Therefore, I must pay much closer attention to what I have heard, lest I drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall I escape if I neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to me by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will, now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which I am speaking It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him. who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might test taste death for me. Listen. This passage can be an indicator as to whether or not you're a believer in Christ. If this passage bothers you and you ask yourself God I wonder Am I neglecting you? I I don't want to neglect you. Because if I neglect you, that, that puts me in danger. If you have a concern in your heart, that is a very good sign. That there is within your heart a Holy Spirit warning, a concern, a desire to be true to Christ... But if in this passage, you are wholly indifferent, and this doesn't concern you, I have great concern for you. If you can walk away from hearing and reading a passage like this, and not be bothered in your soul, it suggests Maybe the Holy Spirit's never put a desire in your heart for Christ. Part of what makes a believer a believer is there is a holy desire that Christ is precious and is indeed your Savior. And you long to be true to Him. And if that's not in your heart and life, I have great concern as to your salvation. You see... What we need in our soul is an anchor to be dropped, moored to the pier of God's holiness, and we will fill. We will fill the tides of this world, the desires of people around us, the desires within our very sin nature, and it will pull and push against who Christ is. But because we're believers. We will hold on tightly to Christ. And it is Christ who keeps us in our place. I pray that we will heed the gospel. Are you paying attention to the gospel? Have you lost the wonder of salvation? Is the intimacy of God a faint Memory Is your love and desire for the word of God falling short? Do the realities of heaven and hell seem distant and unreal? Do you fall apart at the first sign of suffering or persecution? Are you unaware of the constant pull and downward spiral this world presents to us? Do spiritual disciplines of prayer, study, and witnessing and fellowship Seem more duty than delight? Is the Lord's table dull? Is the preaching and explaining of the word of God boring? Are you no longer moved by Jesus on the cross? Are you no longer dependent upon other believers? Is doctrine no longer important? Are you lacking in joy and gratitude? Are you ceased growing in faith, hope, and love? Then be concerned. Be concerned. And do not neglect the gospel. And hold tight. Look close to Jesus. Let's pray.